Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. The Bible reading for this morning is taken from Matthew chapter 7, 24 to 29. As usual, I will read, then I will say this is the word of the Lord, and you will say thanks be to God. Matthew 7, 24 to 29. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Femi. And once again, thank you all for being here. It's nice to see you. Well, is the, is the end of the, the series. Um, in many ways, I, 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 was, I wasn't looking, in one way I was looking forward to the end of the series, but in other ways, you know, it's been, it's been personally a very helpful series for me as well, you know, uh, personally uplifting, just going through, I thought I knew the Sermon on the Mount before I started, I, I, I really didn't know it, and I thank God that I have been enriched by it. But, well, we have one more to go, and so if you're here for the first time, don't worry, um, I'm sure we'll still be able to carry you along. What we've been doing is we've been treating a series called The Citizens of the Kingdom. And by that we mean that Jesus came to bring a kingdom. He came to bring a kingdom. Now if you read in Matthew chapter 4, Femi read in Matthew chapter 7, but if you read in Matthew chapter 4 where it all kind of began, Jesus starts his ministry. And when he starts his ministry, he said that the kingdom of God is at hand, or the kingdom of heaven here in Matthew is at hand. Now what he then decided to do was to proclaim it. And he must have been a great speaker because people were around him. And then he demonstrated it because he healed the sick, he uh, drove out demons and all of those things. So you could see the kingdom being proclaimed and the kingdom being demonstrated. What do you think happened after? Crowds followed him. And because he went to set the record straight, I remember listening to someone recently that said that there is the gospel of salvation, but then there's also the gospel of the kingdom. And they are two different things. I went to tell him, have you read the Sermon on the Mount? Because what Jesus then decided to do was to teach about the kingdom. Because he said, look, all these people are following me, and they may have different ideas on what this thing is all about. So he decided to teach. And what he taught is what we've now called the Sermon on the Mount, and it's from Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter 7. And the way we designed it was to say, look, 
since he's talking about the kingdom, he's also going to talk about the people of the kingdom. You can know about a nation by the way the people of the nation behave. And so he said, well, it's like uh, having an international passport of the kingdom. And on that passport, there were 14 pages. And each of those pages describes something about the citizens. So page one was contrite citizens. Page two, persecuted citizens. Page three, missional citizens. Four, righteous citizens. Five, broken citizens. Six, restorative. Seven, wealthy citizens. Eight, prayerful citizens. Nine, confident citizens. Ten, humble citizens. Eleven, persistent citizens. Twelve, destined citizens. Thirteen, discerning citizens. And 14, today, wise citizens. Now, um, you kind of know how this thing goes. When you were growing up, some of us here, some of us are probably st still happening to us. This time, you're not in trouble. But the aunt or your mom or your uncle, someone living with you, uh, older than you, they don't want you to enter trouble. So they decide to give you that fantastic thing that we call the African monologue or African sermon. They tell you about how children that start to behave like this, eventually they become, well, if, like, if you, if you, I'm sure you've heard this one, that if you sag your trousers, you'll become a drug pusher. You've heard that one, right? If, you, if your skirt is above your knee, you become a prostitute, right? Now, they don't just say it as short as that. They actually go on and on and on and on. They say so many things. At this point, you are very, very tired. You just want them to stop, or else you may just end up dying. <laughs> but when they now finish it, they summarize it with this statement. To be forewarned is to be... They told you that one. <laughs> now, many of us have not heard that one. The all-time favorite is after the whole monologue, you hear this. A word, you were. <laughs> and the annoying thing is that after that whole sermon and everything, just so that they know that you are awake and you are hearing it, they don't complete it. They say, a word is enough for all. <laughs> and what betide you, we don't complete it. They will give the whole sermon again. A word is enough for the why. You see, at the end, now we are at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says, opens with these words, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine. Everyone who hears these words. What words? Well, it's not just the preceding verses. It's the entire sermon. If you've heard these words of mine, what would you do? What words? The entire sermon. The, and the sermon was, remember, about the kingdom. How do you enter the kingdom? How do you behave as one in the kingdom? About the citizens of the kingdom. These citizens who are contrite yet broken. They are confident but humble. Persecuted but wealthy. These are people who are persistently prayerful and display a righteousness that ensures blissful eternal destiny. A people who in being missional are restorative agents while at the same time they are very discerning. If you have heard these words of mine, you can hear Jesus almost saying, a word is enough for what? The wise. If you've heard these words of mine, will you follow wisdom? Because if you've heard all of these things, what you do with it will determine whether you are wise or not. And citizens of the kingdom are wise citizens. So I want us to complete this whole sermon now with these three things. What does it mean to be wise? Well, 
Let's consider these three points. Wisdom defined, wisdom proven, and wisdom personified. Wisdom defined, wisdom proven, and wisdom personified. Now, I should start by saying, that's the first point, wisdom defined, that so often this sermon is misunderstood in that many times we think it's about the foundations, the rock or the sand, whereas it's not really. That's derivative. The sermon is really about the two persons there, the wise one and the foolish one. Who is a wise person if I ask you? How many of us know wise people in our lives? How many of us think that we are wise people? Raise your hand and show your foolishness. <laughs> now, what do, how do we know a wise person? Is it someone that scores high grades? Is it someone with a high IQ? Or maybe someone that tends to know a lot? Is that how we define who a wise person is? Well, let me start by clearing some, again, I think there's, uh, we, we often misunderstand that. Because we say, oh, if a wise person has an IQ, a high IQ, then a foolish person probably doesn't have an, a, a, a high IQ. And I think you may be mistaking it. Now, maybe we can start with this. Uh, let, let me show this, uh, following what Jesus said. Now, imagine there are three people here, right? And we have knowledge, and there are three of them, the ignorant man, the foolish man, and then the wise man. Now, with knowledge, what do you have with the ignorant man? Well, the ignorant man, knowledge wants to come to him, but never, knowledge never gets to him. It's, the issue isn't so much that he can't understand. It's just that the knowledge never came. He is ignorant. He never had access to knowledge. So maybe he's not going to have an, a large IQ. He's not going to be able to put the knowledge to any use. But Jesus is not contrasting a, an ignorant person with a wise person. In fact, you can find that if you read verse 24, look at what it says. Therefore, everyone, or 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man. Who is a foolish man? A foolish man actually has knowledge. The one who hears these words of mine. He hears the words, but what does he do with it? No use. But does not put it into practice. Whereas a wise man has the knowledge and then he puts it into practice. Maybe I can illustrate it with this. How many of us here have mirrors? Mirrors, you know mirrors. Do you know the annoying thing about it? All you women here, you have mirrors in your bag. Why can't you raise your hand up? Raise it up, let's see your mirror. Ah, be proud of it. Although nowadays, people are using phones as their mirrors. You're not sure whether it's the phone or the selfie. But why do we have mirrors? We have mirrors to look at ourselves, isn't it? Now, imagine you go in. You've had your bath. You've done everything. You're not getting to all. OK, you've had your bath. You're dressed up. And you've, you've made yourself up. So now you guys are going to church, right? And it's now time to come down. And you now tell your husband, oh, yeah, go up with the kids. And then you look at the mirror again. That, you know that, this, the passenger chair mirror? Uh -huh, yeah, you know you do it. All right, so you look in that mirror, and when you see yourself there, you notice that, that, that you know that um, the thing, the hair, that one that you went to put across, it's a bit on this side. So it's meant to come here. 
So you look at it, you look at it. And then when you leave, then when you finish, you look at it and then you just leave. You don't do anything. Is that what happens? What's the mirror there for? When you see it, you put it back, isn't it? If you don't, you may be all, for guys, if you look at yourself in the mirror and you don't comb your hair, you look at yourself in the mirror, you see it scattered and you don't comb your hair after, now you may find out that you may be dummy. <laughs> no, no, he combed it today, but he knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> You may say, what's well, even there? I don't conform to society's rules. You know, I'm radical. You may be radical, but you're also foolish. That's what, I'm not, that's what James says. Listen to James. It's not me. James says, it. consider it, uh, 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 sorry. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what he says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. You get the data, the mirror shows you something, but you don't use it. Jesus says a foolish person is that kind of person. You get the knowledge, but you don't use it. Anyone who hears these words of mine, but does not put it into practice, is a foolish person. But the one who then puts it into practice... That is a wise person. James again, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive, you, deceive yourselves. Do what it says, verse 25 of chapter 1. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. It's why when Paul is talking about the gifts of the Spirit, he makes a distinction between the message of knowledge and the message of wisdom. Now, the message of knowledge is basically the gift that people have, as most of them will become teachers, they have a, the ability to soak in so much knowledge. They know a lot of the Bible. They know a lot of the theology. And yet, many of the people that can have that can be extremely foolish. Because the message of knowledge is the ability to know, understand the things. The message of wisdom is the right application of that knowledge. If you're going to be a counselor, you need both. The message of knowledge and the message of wisdom. Some people are able to speak wisely, but they don't have the knowledge. So they say wrong things, but it just seems like those wrong things seem very right in our ears. Some people have all the knowledge, but don't know how to apply it. You say, my husband is really acting up. And all you just say is, well, everybody is sinful. So what? Deal with it. No, no, no. Wisdom is the right application of knowledge. And Jesus is then challenging us here. He's saying, look, if you've heard all the words that I have said, not what do you know, but what will you do? That's the question. That is also why it says in the book of Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. What does that mean? It means this. Or you can um, uh, parallel with another one that says, the fool says in his heart that there is no God. Now, when you think about it, 
ultimately, the most fundamental knowledge of all is that there is a God. The most fundamental knowledge of all is that there is a God. The other, other things, there's mathematics, there's science, there's all, all of those things. But the most fundamental knowledge of all is that there is what? A God. And that God created the world that you and I are in. The world in which we relate with and we think. That God created this world. If you are going to act in this world in a way that is consistent with wisdom, you first have to acknowledge and act in line with the most fundamental knowledge, which is there is a God. If you are going to succeed in whatever is called success in this world, it has to first start with not knowing him alone, but fearing him as well. This is why ultimately, even though there are other kinds of wisdoms, ultimately, if you act in a way that there is no God, you are ultimately foolish. That's what the word says. And that foolishness is judged not by what you say, but by how you act. That's why Paul, uh, in, the, in the book of Proverbs, it also says that the one that does not fear God continually acts evil. He's a foolish person. So Jesus now is challenging us. There are many people that are here. In fact, at the end of that verse, he says, the people were amazed. Jesus is not just looking for people that are amazed with what he says. The question is this. Not what do you know, but what will you do? That is what will make you wise. Or that's what will demonstrate that you are wise. Jesus is looking for doers, obedient people, because only they are wise. It brings me to a second point, which is, uh, because this wisdom is often tested. So let us talk, the second one, wisdom proven. Wisdom proven. Now, Jesus wants to illustrate this, and he illustrates this with a, a building metaphor, a construction metaphor. You see, he introduces us to two people, two men, and they are house builders. They are house builders. But he's going to say something about this building that they're going to do. Now, um, are we in dry season or rainy season? Because I, eh? I don't know. The rain, eh? Transitioning. This transition is taking long. Even though some of us are not, <laughs> with the floods that you have around, like some of us are not too, but you know, I think the farmers will be looking for it. But the thing is, if the rain started today and continued for the rest of this week, we'll be surprised. Right? If the rain is really heavy, if we see floods around this place, around Lekki, for the rest of, for maybe next week and two weeks, will you be surprised? No matter how severe, even if it's very severe, will you be surprised? You see, they built this house, and when they built it, and Jesus is illustrating. So the building is like the hearing. Why? Because two of them built, they both built houses, right? That's what he says. The wise man built and the foolish man built. Both of them built houses. And in, based on what Jesus is trying to say, that means you heard the word of his. But after building, we find out that they build on two different foundations. One builds on sand. The other one built on rock. 
and just tells us that one is obey. The one that builds, that, that, that obeys and puts it into practice is like building his house on the rock. And the one that did not put it to practice is like building his house on what? Sand. Now, when you look at these two houses, everything looks the same. You will not know that they are different. Apparently, there is no difference between them until something happens. What happens? The rains, the flood, and the winds come. And when they come, we know by the results the one who has built on sand and the one that has built on a rock, isn't it? Because one of them crashed and one of them stood. Now, I said if rain came today, we would not be surprised. But you know, so many of us, as we walk as Christians, we almost act as though we are surprised when trials come, when suffering comes. You see, our faithful allegiance to Christ's words are going to be tested. And as Christians, we should never be surprised by trials. Far too often with our Lagosian Christianity, we've been made to believe that suffering will not come our way. Because, you know, as they say, that is not God's will for, it's not God's will for me. Uh -uh. If God is good, and God is my Father, and God has resurrected in Jesus Christ, why will I suffer? This is despite the fact, if you even listen to the Sermon on the Mount that says that we are persecuted citizens, it is littered all over the scriptures that Christians... Suffering will come. But we don't expect it. It's like the Lagosian Christian. I, this one annoys me. I don't know why. It shouldn't bother me. Dami again. Tommy were here. The rainy season comes. There's rainy season. It is rainy season. Like it has been raining at least six times in a week. And then when they come to work, it's raining in the morning. Oh. You now see them so wet. I say, why are you wet? What happened to your umbrella? He said, it wasn't raining when they were leaving the house. <laughs> you see, when that man was building the house, it wasn't raining. Too. It can't be God's will for it to rain. When we are building, uh, wait, okay, it wasn't building, uh, when he was building the house, it wasn't raining. God will never ever send rain. And we live in a world where suffering abounds. Listen. If you live long enough, you will suffer. It is either you are entering into suffering, you are in suffering, or you are coming out of one. If you live long enough, you will what? You will suffer. But we inoculate ourselves. You know why we do so? Because we don't like suffering. We don't expect suffering. You know why? Because we don't want to expect it. We hate suffering. So we say it will never come, and then we make it a self-fulfilling prophecy. It will never come. Why won't it come? Because I've said it wouldn't come. But when it then comes, you are now surprised that it came. We try to stop everything that would show us that we will suffer. Even happens in our songs. Today, I will lift up my voice in praise, no matter what I face. When success comes, which success? Uh, success will come your way. But that was not what the person that wrote the song put. 
uh, where trouble trouble care. Me, I re I reject it. You can snap like this. If you snap like this, these two hands will come back. Suffering is there and it serves a purpose. The rains come. Why were the rains there? The rains came to test whether or not those houses were standing on a firm foundation. And so Jesus is saying, look, you may look like you are a citizen now, but the natural cause of someone who has faith in me is to undergo trials. Expect it. The question is why? Now, as I said, there are apparently no differences between both houses. Just like there may be no differences between, between two kinds of Christians. You see two Christians. It's the result of what happens after the trials come that will differentiate or distinguish the two. In other words, testing is there to prove the genuineness of our faith. Let me explain. Because this is going to happen in two time periods, the present time and the eternal time. Let's say that together. The present time and the eternal time. Consider these two Christians. One is Taiwo, the other one is Faith. Neither use vulgar language. Neither is unfaithful to their husband. Neither misses Sunday worship. Neither is denying any central tenant of the faith. Fantastic Christian women, strong, ciscord material. <laughs> then trials come. Observe which one of the two treat their workers rightly when the pressure of losing a contract comes. Observe which one of the two decide to talk about their faith when they are faced in an awkward situation among their workers when they are mocking religion. Which one of them just backed up? Or observe the two of them when they are, and I'm not saying this is going to happen, but if this happened, they, well, they became significantly ill. Observe which one of them seek miraculous cure from questionable people. How many people I know that they seem to be very strong in their faith, they got into some kind of sickness, they are there chasing miracle water or some kind of disgusting anointing oil. Trials come in the present time. It is the result of the trials that starts to tell you whether you are building on a rock or you've built on a sand. You see, the foolish never persevere, they never mature, and they never grow wise. This sequence is taken for us in the book of James. Notice what it says. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Listen, the issue is not to be joyful because of the trials. Of course not. When you're going through the trial, you cannot be joyful because of the trials. It is what the trial is trying to prove. Why? It says, be, consider it pure joy because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Do you see? The testing, if the faith is genuine, will produce perseverance. Trials produce perseverance. Perseverance produce maturity. 
But you say, but I don't know what to do in those cases. I don't know. It's really, really so hard for me. And that's what this is what James then says in verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Do you see? Many times in the trial, the problem why we balk very quickly is that we don't have wisdom. But we look for the wisdom within us when we should be asking the wisdom from God. If you stick with Christ in the trials, it will produce perseverance. That perseverance will produce maturity. And if you want to go through it and be mature, to be sustained, you will ask for wisdom and you have this promise that he will give you the wisdom to sustain. And the cycle starts again. Trials to perseverance, perseverance to maturity, maturity to wisdom, wisdom to trials, trials to perseverance, perseverance. To, and this is how you grow both in wisdom and continual obedience with the Lord. This is how you see that person and just say, so wise. She always knows what to say in a particular condition. It's not just because she had an injection of wisdom into her brain. Because she has continually walked with obedience because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. She fears the Lord so she walks in obedience. As she walks in obedience through all trials, she gains wisdom. And because of that, she's able to persevere. She builds up strength. The one who walks in disobedience goes back, becomes foolish, so that when the day of adversity comes, they turn back because what? Their strength is small. But the one who walks in obedience continually perseveres, matures, gets wisdom, builds strength, so that in the day of adversity, their strength is a lot, they never turn back. What will you do with the words of Christ? Because, listen, in this present time, it's going to be tested. And the results will show. Now, that's in the present time. The second is the eternal time. Because, listen, sometimes... You walk with the Lord, you obey, and the results don't immediately pay off. In fact, for a long time, the results don't pay off. You don't get richer. Your husband still does not come. You may not get the other desires of your heart. That job, promotion doesn't come. They don't come not because, because you decided to be obedient. So what happened? I thought it was the results that would show. This is why as Christians, and if you listen to the Sermon on the Mount, you see that Jesus does not only operate on a timeline in this world. He operates on a timeline that is what? Eternal. Blessed are those who are, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will what? Inherit the kingdom of heaven. Do you think that is now? Well, it starts now, but it's consummated when Jesus, what, returns. Being a citizen means that you look forward to the return of Christ. Like Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior. We are waiting for a Savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly body so that it will be like his glorious body. Or listen to Peter. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an, he's not just born us into a living hope, but into an inheritance that can never perish, 
spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept for you in heaven, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. This is what he says. He says, even your time in this world, when you are suffering trials, is for a little time. It may not seem little. For eight years you've been going through this trial. The woman with the issue of blood for how many years? Twelve years. It may not seem little. But compared to eternity, it is very little. The trial may seem so weighty, but compared to the riches of God, it is light. So Paul can say our light but momentary afflictions, light and momentary, cannot be compared with the eternal weight of glory that shall be given to us. So these trials are small in light of eternity. But what do they prove? Verse 7, these have come so that the, prov- these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold that perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, honor, and when Jesus Christ is when he's revealed. Do you see it? Your walking in obedience is a test of your faith. But that test of your faith, God is doing something in you. He's making you wiser, and the results will show, not just in this life, but in the life that is to come. It may not pay off now, but when Jesus comes, Take it, read my lips, it will pay off big time. And you can take it out to the bank. And so, if that is the provenance, so we are trying to prove wisdom, and you see the reward there, I'll say be wise. Be wise. That's what Jesus is saying. Build your house on the rock. But I have one more thing to say. Because we have to be asking ourselves, how do we get this wisdom? And we come to wisdom personified, the last point. Now, after reading the Sermon on the Mount, I hope you come away with one sure thing, just one thing. Jesus wants you to enter into the eternal kingdom, become a citizen, and behave like one. That's why he says, choose the narrow way. That one leads to life. He's not trying to taunt you. With it, he wants us to partake, to inherit this kingdom. He wants us to enter. He wants us to behave like these kingdom citizens. Now, the question becomes, how do I become a citizen? And, of course, you know what the answer is. Wisdom. By wisdom, you become a citizen. This same Paul who said, I am a citizen of heaven, Paul said, you have to be wise unto Salvation. Be wise unto salvation. Ah. So then you say to me, ah, I get it. Since wisdom is tied to obedience to Christ, then I need to obey all his commandments in the Sermon on the Mount. In other words, some of us may be here thinking that on the final day, if God says to you, because wisdom is tied to obedience. If God says to you, Ulumide or Yemi or Shegun, if God says to you, why should I allow you to enter into my eternal kingdom? Why should I allow you? 
Some of us probably are thinking we'll say something like this. God, I deserve some accolades. <laughs> I paid my dues worldwide. And if you say that, God will so condemn you. Not just worldwide, eternally. Because you'll be missing the point. You have no accolades. Can you really keep all of this? Honestly. If the Sermon on the Mount does not scare you as a means for your salvation, if you obey it, um, if you obey it perfectly, then you have not been listening at all. You are the ignorant one. No. This wisdom is not a This entering is not to use the wisdom with obedience as a way to enter. You cannot do that. Don't miss the point. Being wise unto salvation is to receive God's wisdom for salvation. Say that again. Being wise unto salvation is to receive God's wisdom for salvation. And you know what that is? Jesus himself. Jesus is God's wisdom for salvation. You see, Jesus is God's wisdom personified in a person. Quite often in the book of Proverbs, you will see, or especially in chapter 8, you will see wisdom speaking as a I. I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. Proverbs 12. By the time you get to 22, you see that wisdom was there that created the world at the very beginning. Wisdom personified. Now, how do we know that Jesus is God's wisdom? We see it in two related ways. One, the words he spoke, and two, the works he accomplished. The words he spoke and the work he accomplished. Let me explain, and I'll round up here. Now, in verse 28 to 29, notice that it says that when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. In other words, when Jesus was speaking, unlike teachers of the law who say, Rabbi, this said this, and Rabbi, this said that, that is their authority was derived. It was a derivative authority. They were saying, according to this person that said this, and sometimes they will say, according to the scriptures, Jesus just said, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. His authority was within himself. He was not building his authority on anybody else. So he had the authority, but also the things that he was saying were new. It was coming. It made so much more sense of the Old Testament and every other thing. He had so much wisdom in what he said. In fact, he there was a bit of a showdown in Matthew chapter 12 when these same teachers of the law with Pharisees came to meet Jesus and they said they wanted him to see, they wanted to see a sign. After he had shown so many signs, he said, I'm not going to give you any sign. The only sign I'll give you is the sign of Jonah. And then later, the sign of Jonah, you know, Jonah preached to the people of Nineveh and the people of Nineveh repented at Jonah's preaching. Then later he then says, also the queen of Sheba she will stand up to, she will rise up to judge this generation. Why? Because the queen of Sheba came, she's not a Jew. She doesn't serve the God of the Jews. But she had heard that the God of, Jew, of the Jews had given wisdom like no other to the king of the Jews, Solomon. So she came from the ends of the earth to come and listen to the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. And you guys are still refusing. Your unbelieving heart, you are saying that you want another sign. He said, I won't give you. Jesus was saying to all the Jews there who would have revered Solomon as the wisest of all, Jesus was saying, 
I am wiser than Solomon, and you have seen it. He was God's wisdom personified. He proved it by even the words that he spoke. But there was one more thing. If we can say yes, based on what this guy is saying, we can see that no one spoke with such authority. No one was ever this wise. Is the wisdom of God therefore just sayings? Is it just words that Jesus was uttering? No. Jesus himself in what he did was God's wisdom demonstrated. Not just what he said, but more importantly, what he did. You know, we often say, what would Jesus do? All right, yeah, listen to what Jesus did. This is God's wisdom expressed to mankind. Listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Where is the wise person? Verse 20. Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. What was the foolish thing that was being preached? Jews demand a sign. Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and what? The wisdom of God. Verse 30. It is because of him, that's God, that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. So you don't say that I deserve some accolades. He says, therefore, not as it's written, let the one who boasts, boasts what? In the Lord. Only Christ deserves the accolades. God's wisdom in fixing the entire mess that had happened in this world was demonstrated in one person, Jesus Christ, and in what that one person did on the cross of Calvary. You want to see the place where God's wisdom is best expressed. Look to Calvary and look to the empty tomb. So if you want to be wise unto salvation, receive God's wisdom for salvation. Trust in Jesus Christ. The only way you are wise to enter into the kingdom is to follow God's wisdom. Trust in Jesus Christ. And what if you say that I have entered? What if you say, I think I'm there, but I'm not walking as, as wise. I'm not walking as a wise person. Well, it's not first and foremost by doing so many things that you think you're wise. Even this obedience is meant to be done in the power of God. You see, God gives Christ to us. And he says, yes, be obedient. Work out this salvation. But it is God that works on you, who both to will and do his good pleasure. How do we use this gospel? Let me tell us four ways do we use the gospel. If you say, I'm in the kingdom, but I want to behave more like one in the kingdom. I want to behave more wisely. We can work out our obedience in trials. In trials, one. One, the reason we do this is to demonstrate we've entered, not for us to enter. I don't get my father's DNA to become his son. But if I don't have his DNA, I am not his son. Do we understand? We don't walk in obedience to enter into the kingdom. We walk in obedience 
to demonstrate we are people of the kingdom. Two, as a means to say thank you. Why do I obey in the midst of trials? Well, notice Jesus faced an enormous, an infinitely greater trial for you and for me to save us. It was grossly inconvenient for him. He walked in obedience to God for you and I. Very, very inconvenient. So when you and I walk in obedience, we say thank you. We say we love him. If you love me, keep my commandments. Three. You see, for us to show or to show the example of Christ, if you truly believe that Christ saved you by going to the cross, Christ says, now, take up your own cross and do what? Follow me. He learned obedience in the things that he suffered. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And then finally, we walk in obedience through trials in the gospel as a means of faithfully waiting. Knowing that, like Jesus, my sorrow can never compare with my glory. Do you notice? Why did Jesus wait? Why did Jesus call on to the cross, even though it was a very difficult thing? Now, on the one hand, he was obedient to the Father. But on the other hand, he saw something greater. Philippians chapter 2. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Obedient to death. Even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Do you see? Jesus died because he knew there would be a resurrection, there would be an ascension. When you obey through trials, you are saying with your very obedience that though these things may slay me now, I will wait for him. Because I know that the suffering that I am suffering does not have the last word. God has promised that if he rose Jesus from the dead again, he would also raise us up. That's why Paul says, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in what? His glory. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. How are we wise citizens? We are wise citizens when we obey Christ. We obey him not because it's always easy. But we obey him because we love him, we thank him. And we also obey him because we believe in the promise that he's laid out for us. We are we citizens of the kingdom? Because we believe there is truly a kingdom that the Lord has prepared for all those who love him. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. <laughs>